0: God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith... Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect.
1: Good evening. Nate is uh, a, a good friend of mine. He he founded an organization called Shalom of Oakland, which serves a community in deep East Oakland, and a lot of the at-risk youth that are there, and um, a lot of the community that is there. Um, he runs uh, basketball camps and Things like that, and uh, I guess you hold your own, right, with those guys. You sometimes he he can't play a post game with them. He has to, you know, he's the outside guy shooting the, you know, from the three point line stuff like that. And um, his wife's a better shooter than he is. Um, it's true, right? It's true. Well, but you can come on up here while I continue to look for stories to embarrass you. But uh, I, I asked Nate to, to come share with us. Shalom of Oakland is one of those organizations that Regen partners with, and we do have an intern that is serving there uh, along with Shalom of Oakland. So welcome, Nate. Thanks, Albert.
2: Thank you, Albert. It's an honor to be here. Uh, it was fun to be here this morning. I was joking this morning, I, I, have, I feel like I'm connected to Regen. I have all these friends like Albert. Nate Van Nortwick lives in my backyard. Essentially, I get to work with Kayla So I feel like I have a lot of friends here and have for years. Um, So it's good to actually be here and be able to have the privilege to teach and hang out with you guys um, this morning. Um, Would you mind praying one more time? I just like to pray when I start to teach to ask God to guide my words one more time. So let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the songs and the worship. And God, as we look at Hebrews 11, I ask God that you would guide the words that come out of my mouth. Um, And I ask God that for all of us including myself, you would open up our ears to whatever you want to say to us, that you would open up our hearts, God, that you would be able to speak to us. Um, And I ask, God, that we wouldn't just hear this morning, but that we would be ready to hear and be changed by this message, that we would be ready to hear and actually act on what we hear um, today. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. So, thank you for your patience in reading Hebrew 11. I think that's like the 10th comment I've gotten today about how long Hebrews 11 is. I know it's a long chapter, so maybe I should apologize. I don't know. But it's a great chapter. Um, It's epic. It's amazing. So before we look at Hebrews 11, let's talk about Jesus first, okay? Because Jesus, actually, if if you study Hebrews, the first 10 or so chapters of Hebrews, the author keeps making a point about how important Jesus is, okay? He talks about Jesus is more important than angels. He's even greater than Moses, which to Hebrew people is a really big deal. He's greater than the Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's a new high priest for us. Um, and his, his sacrifice makes it so we don't have to all have to have sacrifices over and over again. So Jesus has changed everything. And the author just goes to go through great length and detail through Hebrews of explaining over and over again how important Jesus is. It changes everything for us. And when I've been, as I've been studying that and reminding myself of that, it also reminds me of who Jesus is and how he acted on earth and what he taught on earth. Um, and one of the things that has always drawn me to this Jesus is that how bold and provocative, how true, how honest, how surprising this Jesus is. Like when you read the Gospels and you see what he's doing and saying, it's it's amazing and it's it's just shattering and surprising over and over again. You know he's not afraid to get in in the face of a leader or a religious leader and tell them what's wrong. You know he's not afraid to speak to a woman or a child or a prostitute. Or a tax collector, or to party with sinners, he's always doing things which aren't culturally acceptable in his day, um, and he's not afraid of it. And he keeps on doing things that are that are scary and provocative and risk-taking until the very end, when he's put to death and tortured for all the things he's been doing. So he gives us this model and this idea of what a life looks like that is surrendered to to the Father's will, and it's not very safe, um, and it's it's pretty crazy. And it's full of risks um, and, and honesty and truth and boldness. And then as Jesus tells us, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. And he says, but if you lose your life for my sake or for the sake of the good news, you will find your life. So he lives this life. He demonstrates it, demonstrates it on the cross. And, then he, and he teaches us, okay, he, here's life. You lose your life. You give your life away. It's different than everyone else is living. You actually give your life away as my follower. Okay, so kind of keep that as a background as we look at Hebrews. This is the kind of Jesus that we're talking about. This is the Jesus that we serve and follow. Okay, so before we get into Hebrews 11, one more little stop in the road. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 22, just for a sec. Isn't it good we didn't read this as well? Would have been a really long reading earlier. So let's look at Hebrews 10, just for a moment, 10, 19 to 22. We have to have this in the back of our heads too, before we go to Hebrews 11 says therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water i want just to remind us of this before we get to hebrews 11 because before we start talking about taking these great risks of faith and these great steps of faith like these heroes did. We have to be reminded that we are loved, that we can be forgiven, and even as it says poetically here, have our hearts sprinkled and have our bodies washed with a pure water. That God's forgiveness is so life-shattering and so beautiful and amazing that we can leave behind a guilty conscience and leave behind the shame and the doubt and the fear and the insecurity about being with God and following Him and, and all these doubts about who we are and our mistakes. We can leave that behind in, in trusting this God and having faith in this God. So, But we have to remember, as we look at Hebrews 11 and talk about these big steps of faith and what these heroes did, we have to have in the back of our head, we can do this because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? So we, we can do these things because of the blood of Jesus, because we are loved, because we are forgiven. Because this this great power has been unleashed through Jesus Christ. Okay? So keep that in your head as we're talking about Hebrews 11. And don't let a guilty conscience come up and grab you again as we're talking about taking risks for the sake of the good news. Okay? So now to Hebrews 11. It starts out Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. So what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's believing in things that we can't see and sometimes don't even make logical sense. You know, it's believing in a kingdom that is even best explained through parables. Right? It's believing in a God that we can't see right in front of us. It's believing in a heaven that is hard to describe and we can't see right in front of us. Um Cornell West, anybody ever heard of him? He, um, whoo, Cornel West says that I cannot be an optimist, but I have, but I I am a prisoner of hope. And he he says that because I'm a Christian, I am a prisoner of hope, which is connected to the the idea of faith. So he says optimism, he explains it pretty well. I like how he says, he said optimism is looking at the evidence around you, and being able to see through the evidence, okay, things are going to be good, right? Or things are going to get better, things are going to be okay, because I, I can see the evidence that it's going to be okay. But then hope is not that, right? Hope or faith is looking at the evidence around us and having it add up a certain way, but actually believing something else, right? It's actually believing in something that doesn't add up in, in our physical landscape around us. And faith doesn't always make logical sense. But it says here that without faith, we cannot please God. Okay? Without faith, we can't follow God and we can't please God. Okay, let me see, say one more thing about faith. Um, I have a friend, who, actually a friend who helped me start the after-school program that we run today. Really great guy. And he's in seminary. And every time I see him, he loves studying Greek. So much that he actually, when he comes and visits, he ends up teaching sixth grade kids from the hood how to, how to, how to interpret Greek. He's got like, this Greek New Testament. He's like teaching kids from the ghetto, like, like 11-year-olds Greek and he's really good at it. It's just crazy. So he shows up all the time, and he's teaching all these kids Greek on the side, and I'm like, dude, whatever, you're crazy. Um, and he always ends up ranting about some Greek word that he's been studying, okay? So his latest is the word pistis, and pistis is the word for faith in our, in our New Testaments. And so every time I see him, my friend Matt starts ranting about pistis lately, and he's like, oh, we don't understand pistis, and if we understood pistis, it would change how we understood the Bible. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about right now? We end up having these like hour-long conversations about pistis, um, but, what, but what he's saying really is biblical and makes some sense. And he, he keeps telling me and all these 11-year-old kids in deep east Oakland um, that this word for faith, pistis, involves more than what we think sometimes of, of believing in a set of doctrines or believing in a set of abstract things over here. Sometimes we think of faith. Oh, yeah, I have faith in that. Like, I believe in that thing up here because um, I, I believe it's true and it's kind of up here. Um, but he keeps saying that no, no this, this idea of faith, this pistis, it means you're actually faithful or loyal to whatever it is. So you don't just say you believe it, but it actually in the, in the actual word is this idea of a deep loyalty or a faithfulness or a trust in this thing. Okay, And actually in this time period, Caesar, when Caesar would come to a town or a city and talk to people, he would call out, and, and the thing he would say, the phrase was, give me your pistis. That's what he would say to people in the empire. He would come and say, give me your pistis. So it wasn't just come and believe that I'm Caesar, but it was you follow me, right? Like, I need your loyalty. I am Caesar. You give me your loyalty. So this idea of faith and believing in something we can't see in this, in this idea is also wrapped up in there's this idea of having such a deep trust in God, having such a deep faith that it actually affects us, that we actually become faithful or loyal to this God and to the ways of God. Does that make sense? It's all, it's all wrapped up in there. So, let's start, let's start looking at this. And we just read it, so I'm not going to read every verse over again, okay? But I want to look at each of these characters, okay? Um, not each of them, but a, set, a few of them, okay? As we're going to look at these characters, I want you to try to put yourself in their shoes. Can you try to do that? So, as, as we look at them, try to put yourself in, the, in these characters' shoes, okay? So, let's start with Noah. And this is one that it's like any little kid could come up here and tell us the Noah story, like really easily, right? Um, and whenever I think of Noah in church I, This is like a total side note But I think of my little brother was named Noah So we were Nathan and Noah um, And my little brother we, we grew up in a Calvary chapel in Santa Maria And we would go to church And every day he went to church And he was kind of like shy, self-conscious kid, right? Um, sitting up there But his dad was an elder, everybody knew him And some couple, like an older couple Would come up and say, hey Noah, where's your ark? And he hated it so bad I mean, it was like the, it's like he was traumatized To ever go to church again Like, it was so deep and hard for him. So every time I read about Noah, I'm like, oh, my poor brother. Like, right now, he is not going to church because he's so traumatized by these adults making fun of him about the ark, and he's, like, shirking, like, he's, like, this little 10-year-old kid shirking in the corner about the ark. Okay, so that's a side note. All right. So, Noah. So we know the Noah story, right? God tells him, God tells Noah, build this big ark. He tells him how to build it. Exactly. He says, build this huge ark. And I think we probably all have heard that it didn't make sense to build an ark, right? That it didn't make sense. There was no weather report of rain coming. Rain, big rain had never come. Okay, he's building it on dry land, but God tells him, build this big boat. Um, and we actually don't know if people were, like, making fun of him or knocking on the door later. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say that in the text, actually, but we can guess that probably happened, okay? Noah is building a boat in the middle of, of dry land, okay, because God told him to. So that's our first example of faith. Let's skip on. So, Abraham and Sarah. This is one of my favorite examples. Um, Abraham and Sarah, it starts on verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. Okay, so I love this story because Abraham, it doesn't say that God didn't tell him, okay, Abraham... Or Abram back then. Okay, Abram, you're going to go to this, this place. The city is called this. And, you're, you know, you're, your uncle's over there. And so you're just going to go, you know, travel for three months and find your uncle. And it'll be, it's a big risk, but you'll find it. God didn't say that to him. The, the text says, God said, go to the place I will show you. Like, literally start going over there. And I'm going to show you where the place is. I'm going to give you a place to live. Okay, and then God promised, on top of that, God says, and then I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. Okay? And Abraham is an old, old, wrinkly man, you know, married to an old, wrinkly woman. And he's told, leave everything you know. Leave your village, leave your place, and go somewhere in the middle of nowhere and just start going. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when you get there. I'm going to give you a place, I'm going to give you a people, just start walking. Okay? Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Okay? Even if you've heard the story a billion times, put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Okay? Think about leaving everything you know. Hey, this wasn't modern day where you know what's over there. You don't even know what's over there back in this day, okay? Like, you can't email somebody over there. You don't know what's over there. And you're traveling, and you have to live in tents for a long time, and you have some camels, and all the stuff you can carry, and you just start going. And you don't know when you're going to find water next back in those days. You don't know if robbers are going to come and get you. But you just start traveling, and you start going, and you live in tents, and you live this, this crazy kind of life. And I always wonder, what did people that Abraham knew think when he said he was leaving because God had told him to go to a place that he would show him? Like, what did Abraham's like, friends or whoever he knew back in his original place, like, what did they, like, what did they think when Abraham's like, oh, I'm going to be the father of a great nation? You know, I'm an old wrinkly man and I'm just going to start going somewhere and I'm going to be the father of a great nation. Like, like what, did, what did his friends say, right? Like, like what did, they, did they say, oh, yeah, that, you know, okay, you trust God? Or did they say, like, yeah, you are the weirdest person I, I, like, you're going to die on day three. I'm going to go, I'm gonna have to go rescue you. I, don't, I, I wonder what happened. But put yourself in his shoes. He took off. And then, the next part of the story, a few verses later, he's going, he finally has the son, right? You've heard the story. He finally has Isaac. This is the promise that God gave him. He finally has a son, and through this son, the whole promise will be fulfilled, right? He's going to have this big family. He finally has a son, even in old age. And then God says, go and sacrifice your son. Now, as a father... How many fathers are in here? we have any other fathers? I see Albert. <laughs> um, and maybe somebody up there I didn't see. Um, I cannot even, I can't even fathom this idea, okay? Now, now back in this time period, sacrificing a child was, was not completely abnormal. Like, this happened back in this time period as a more regular thing. But still, I, I can't even wrap my head around what that would feel like, to have God tell you that. Like, it, it, it's so outside of what I can fathom and any emotion I can try to figure out. I, I can't imagine it. But God tells him, so he says, okay, I'll do it. Because he figures, it says in the text, he figures, he has a faith in God that says, well, you know what? God can raise him from the dead. So I'll go ahead and do what God says because I know God can raise him from the dead. So he goes ahead and he does it. That's Abraham. And there's lots more than that, but that's the condensed version from Hebrews, okay? So we've got Abraham and we've got Sarah. And then we've got Moses' family. Okay, Moses' family is next in verse, if you're following, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay, so Moses' family is living in bondage and slavery in Egypt. They're Hebrews. Okay, there's an edict that you're supposed to throw the sons in the river. They're supposed to be dead. And from looking at the text, it, it appears like the Egyptians were actually checking on this. It wasn't like, a, like an order you could just disobey. They, it seems like they, they must have been checking because she hid the baby for a while while she could. So she disobeyed you know, the orders of their empire, of their land, hid the baby, and then put the baby in a little basket down the river. Okay, Pharaoh's daughter comes by, probably with an entourage. If it's Pharaoh's daughter, you would assume there's some kind of people with her. She wouldn't just be wandering around with the Hebrews by herself. She walks down, sees the baby. So Moses' sister has the nerve to run out there to Pharaoh's daughter and probably the entourage and to say, "Oh, hey, you found a baby." So, "Hey, guess what? I could find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you, and she could just take care of the baby for a while." Like, like how would that would that be okay? Say, "Okay, sure." Yeah, you can have that. So, Moses' mother ends up taking care of him as a baby. Now, I've read this story a ton of times, but the more I've been thinking about it lately, I mean, that took some nerve. Okay, like like this is not America here in democracy, right? These are slaves. These are mistreated slaves living in fear. And this is Pharaoh's family here, okay? This is a big evil Pharaoh, the most powerful person around that you've ever heard of. Okay? And and they just march up to him and say, "You know, you know, I, I have a I have a Hebrew woman to take care of him." And and they and they trust that God can take care of it and it it works out somehow. But they do some crazy bold things here in the story, okay? Moving on to Moses. Okay? Moses, and this is a big story here. We'll have to just tell the condensed version. Okay, but then Moses, let's actually read it here. Let's go, Moses, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. Okay? So Moses grows up in the court, leaves, takes off. He's way out of the picture for a long time, okay, taking care of animals, living a simple life. And then God tells him, go back to this place you were when you were younger. Go back and march into Pharaoh's court and tell Pharaoh all the people are leaving. Okay? Now, we've heard this story before, but I want to emphasize again, this is crazy. This is crazy talk, okay? This is a guy who's been hanging out with animals out in the middle of nowhere, living a simple life, and now he's supposed to march to the Pharaoh, okay? And I want to remind you that the Pharaoh was like the most powerful person in the world here, okay? And he was not kind to Hebrews. They were in slavery. He's supposed to march in there and tell him, the Hebrews are leaving, so let us leave. We're about to go, or else God's going to do some things. This is crazy. Not only that, Moses says he couldn't talk very well. Okay, so he's not this like crazy, charismatic leader who has just eloquent... He's not even a good public speaker. But he's going to march in a pharaoh's place and tell Pharaoh, we're leaving now. But God tells him that, and so he does it. And he becomes really the most historic figure in Hebrew history. Like the greatest leader. He leads the people out of slavery. And there's, I mean, a huge chunk of the Old Testament is about this guy Moses, who did what God told him to, even though it really made no logical sense whatsoever to march to Pharaoh's court and say, We're leaving. Okay? After Moses, we got the army. Oh, I love this one, too. Okay. The army is in. What verse is it? Somebody tell me where the army is. 30? Yes. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days, okay? Now, I love this story because I want you to think about it here. Imagine you're in the Hebrew army, okay? You're coming up to Jericho, which is a decent, fortified city. Imagine you've already been in battles for God, where you've won, but you've been in real battles, right? You've, you've seen people die, you've you maybe killed people, your friends have died. You, you are a warrior, okay, in, this, in, you know, in the Hebrew army. And you get there, and then Joshua tells everybody, okay, here's what God said to do for Jericho. We're going to walk around for six days, but once a day, for six days, we're going to walk around Jericho, okay, around the walls. On the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times, and then when the priests blow a trumpet, we're all going to yell, okay? This is the game plan for the great battle. Here's what we're going to do. Now, you can read this and go, oh yeah, that's a cool story, but think about if you were a soldier. I mean, think about it. This, this is, these are your instructions. You march every day, and then the seventh day, you yell, and you trust something good is going to happen. I mean, this does not make any sense. But these soldiers said, okay, this is what we're supposed to do, this is crazy, but we're going to do what God says, and we're going to go and do it. And the, and the walls fall down. Okay? The other part of the Jericho story is Rahab in the text. And I love that Rahab is included in this great chapter of heroes. Okay? Because Rahab is a woman, for one thing, and it's great when women get into some of these Old Testament stories, and I think there's something really special about it, because in that time period, even when this was recorded, that a woman would be put in there would have been for a certain reason. So Rahab is a woman. She's not a Hebrew woman, okay? She's in Jericho. She's a prostitute, and she is included in this great call of heroes, of people who had faith in the God, in Yahweh. Okay, so Rahab is this prostitute in Jericho. Joshua sends spies in there. The spies go into her house. The king Hears about the spies being in Rahab's house, and the king sends people to go check it out. So the king's men come to Rahab. She hides uh, Joshua's spies up on the roof under some flax, and then she tells the guys, Oh, no, no, they're, they're not here. They actually left. They're actually on the, on the way to Jordan. They're that way. So she kind of fools her own king and her own people, says, No, they're not here. And then, she, and then she grabs the guys and says, Okay, you two guys, listen, I've heard about your God. I've heard about what happens when your God's around. I've heard about I've heard about the army. I've heard about what happens, and I I believe in this God. So here's what's going to happen. I've just saved you so that you'll be kind to my family. That's what I've done. So I want you to protect my family when everything goes down pretty soon. She obviously has trust that the Hebrews are going to come in and something crazy is going to happen. She said, "Would you be kind to my family?" So she basically disobeys her whole her whole king, her whole people, her everything to kind of bet that this foreign army she's never heard of. She just her whispers that was going to come, and she really believes in this God. So she puts kind of her whole faith, trust in this God. Lies to her king, okay? And then, Gideon. This is the last one I want to talk about. We've got Gideon. I love Gideon, okay? The very beginning of the Gideon story is this, okay? Gideon is out there working hard. An angel of God appears to Gideon and says, Gideon, you great warrior. Here's what you're going to do. Here's all these plans that God has for you. And Gideon says, whoa, whoa, hold on. Are you not aware that I'm Gideon? Did you know that... Of all the clans, my clan is the weakest, lowest clan of all of them. And were you not aware of that in the weakest, lowest clan, I am the lowest man in my clan? He's like, were you not aware? Like, I, I, I am the, like, considered the lowest, weakest person around here. And you're calling me a great... Like, I'm the one who's going to lead the army. Like, that, that's just silly, okay? And the angel says, no, you, know, you are. And first, you're actually going to go down, you're going to knock down your father's idols and Asherah poles, And then you're going to go lead the army against the enemies. So he does. He leads the army. And then the crazy part of the story is he has an army of 30,000. God says, no, we need less people. So then they have 10,000. God says, less people. They have 300. And then they go out and they bang some jars really loud and yell. And the enemy flees and kills each other and starts fleeing. Okay? Once again, I want to point out, I know you may have heard this story before. This makes no sense. Okay, this is crazy here. Like, this is a crazy risk. This, all of a sudden, this guy is leading the army. And going this does not make any logical human sense whatsoever. Okay? But he took a step of faith. Okay. So, so what's the thread in all these stories? Obviously, it's faith. Okay? They all had faith. But what I want to really point out tonight is that because they had faith in God, they took tremendous risks. Each of them took tremendous risks, tremendous steps of faith, and I want to point out that in their own context, in their own story, the things that they did were really weird and crazy. I want to point out that they probably had lots of people around them that this didn't make sense to them. This did not make logical, cultural sense. They probably had family, they probably had friends that were saying, what are you thinking? This, this This is not how people do things. Okay, but they believed God, so they, they took these great risks for the sake of God. Okay, they, they kind of tossed away safety, you know, security, stability, you know, like just a normal life, and they kind of just, they just didn't play that game. And instead, they just took whatever risk God called them to, and, and they did it, and they were rewarded. Okay, Why don't I want to put down a couple more things about taking risks. Let's read Hebrews eleven thirty-two to 40. Actually, let's start with uh, 33. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword." They went about in, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. I want to make two observations here. One of them is, as they took these steps of faith, as they took risks for God, because they, they trusted Him, had faith, Okay, it was not easy. So if you ever get the Christian message is, yeah, just believe in God and it's all great, Right? It's all happy and we all smile and sing songs and it's like, whoo, it's just easy after that. Okay, that's not the message here. They, they trusted God and because they trusted Him and they actually obeyed Him and took steps of faith, okay, wonderful things happened. I mean, earth-shattering things happened through them. Amazing things happened. They changed the course of history, but there were also consequences. Right? They, they suffered. They were imprisoned. They were mocked. They were scorned. Because they took steps of faith. So that's the reality when we step into taking steps of faith. That's, that's a part of the reality. The other reality is, these people were really weird. Okay? Like, it says here, they're walking around in sheepskins, right? And other skins are wandering around the desert. They're, I mean, they're scorned. These people were, were odd. Okay? These people didn't fit into how people are supposed to live anymore. So they were they, they were strange. They were odd. They were very peculiar. Sometimes they were heroes, but other times they were, they were mocked and scorned. They were not the popular ones. Okay? Because they took a step of faith, they took a risk for the kingdom. At this point, I want to share a little bit of my own story. Not that my story is, is perfect or amazing or beautiful, all, in, all that special of a way, but I feel like I've learned a lot the last few years that God's taught me through some experiences. Um, and one of them is a few years ago, I was a youth pastor in Danville and really enjoyed it, enjoyed the teaching and and preaching a lot of the things. But at a certain time, I felt called to something different. And I was reading the Gospels really obsessively for about a year or two, um, and I felt called to something different. So I ended up wanting to work with a ministry in an inner city somewhere. So I moved to San Francisco and um, quit my job. I had a really good job as a youth pastor. You know, like, great insurance, like, great future. Like, everything was, I was, like, going up the ranks. It was really cool. And so I quit the job and moved to San Francisco and had to raise money to have a salary. And it was a big switch in life. And we were excited about it. My wife and I. It was scary, but we were excited about it. But the, one of the hardest things through that process of, of taking that little risk was how many Christian people really could not understand the risk. And it wasn't even that they questioned it, but it was that it just it made no logical sense to to many of our Christian friends that we would do that. And so there were there were people kind of gossiping and saying things like, "What are you going to live in a van down by the river?" You know, in San Francisco with the hippies, like, is that what you're going to do? Like, you know, what are you going to do for retirement? Haven't you thought that through, buddy? Like, you know, these things were being said, and it was like, I expect that for some people, but I realized it was actually the Christian world that I knew. I was getting that from the Christian subculture, was saying, no, 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 like you, like, you have to be safe, you have to be safer, like, you have to be more secure, like, you know, you have to have retirement, and you have to have insurance, and you, and you, and you have to have a better school for your kids, and you have to have, and I'm not saying those things are bad, okay, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying that that was what everyone's response was. Not everyone, but some people. It was, it was you can't do that. Like, that's not the way you're supposed to go. That's not, like, that's not the American dream. Like, you can't do that kind of thing. And I was like, well, yeah, I can. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to, so I'm going to do that. But it was hard. And I feel like I really learned that even in our Christian world, the, like when we take risks sometimes, they're not often understood. And sometimes they don't even make sense to our friends or our family. Doesn't like it or accept it. And it's difficult. But when we study this text here, these people, and there's even more than this. We can go through the whole narrative of Scripture here. There are people who encountered God, and they started doing things that were not safe. Okay? They started doing things that were not secure. They started doing things that were very odd. And they started doing things that didn't make sense to people around them because they encountered this God. And it didn't always turn out perfectly. They suffered for it sometimes, but they took the step of faith because they really believed and had faith In this God. Okay, so let's close with Hebrews twelve, one to three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, as we follow this Jesus, as we are disciples of this Jesus, we are called into the kind of life that Jesus led. And and we are called to step into uncomfort at times, and suffering at times, and scorn at times. And we are called to step into risks at times for the sake of Jesus. And, it says here, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us as we run our race. So, as we run this race that we know is not a sprint, but a marathon, as we're in this marathon, this journey with God, whatever the thing that's entangling us, whatever the thing is that tells us we can't take that risk, whatever the thing is that says, no, you you can't really follow God in this way, or no, you can't really take that risk, or no, you can't really take that step, whatever that is, it says to lay that aside, whatever that sin is. If it's distraction, if it's laziness, if it's impurity... You know, or if it is perhaps idolizing the American dream and idolizing safety and security and bigger barns and just just the, the way things are supposed to be in America. But whatever the sin is that grabs us, we are to take it and throw it and, and lay it off. And we have this cloud of witnesses who's gone before us, cheering us on, saying, "Yes, go, do it. You can do it. Have faith in God and move forward." So my my, my challenge tonight for us all is is I, I would like us all to just take a moment and think about what is a step that God's calling us to. Because it might not be leaving everything behind and just starting to walk across the country with your family. Like, and it might not be moving to an inner city. And it might not be quitting your job. But it might be. But it might be breaking up with your girlfriend. Or it might be going to that school that you're supposed to go to. Or, or it might be um, going and inviting that neighbor over for dinner who makes you uncomfortable but you know you're supposed to love that neighbor. Whatever the risk is, We're called to a life of risk-taking because we can trust this God. And so let's lay aside whatever holds us back from this kind of life and step into that, one step at a time, knowing that we're loved and we're forgiven and our hearts have been sprinkled and that we can step forward with God. Okay, let let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And we are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful for your care. We are so grateful that we are forgiven. And God, we ask tonight that you would give us the courage to take whatever step it is that you're calling us to tonight. A small step, a big step, a medium step, whatever it is. God, let us trust you. Let us have faith in you. And God, let us just take a step of faith. Let us take a risk because we love you, because we have faith in you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.